0: Welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Nigel Desmond. This, uh, this message, it, it will be somewhat, probably somewhat less, um, uh, somewhat less intellectual, more theological in, uh, in a sense, because I wanted to actually get back just to ground zero and say, well, how do we construct consciously... A biblical Christian worldview. So, you know, one of the most important things is like we might say, well, that worldview is wrong. That worldview is wrong. But until you know what you know, and you understand um, what a biblical Christian worldview and why we embrace it from the Bible, it's very difficult to have a measuring stick by which we can um, and by which we can uh, judge other things. And one of the reasons why this is so important is that there's a saying that ideas have consequences. You see, it's, it's amazing how in our modern world, there is this concept that it doesn't matter what you believe. It's like, oh, it's, it's good. You know, I believe that. I believe... And everyone's just like, ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. But the reality is once you embrace ideas... Ideas begin to have consequences, and they have consequences personally. They have consequences um, in the way you live your life. They have consequences in your family, in your society, and uh, in your culture. Ideas are never neutral. Ideas are never uh, neutral. And then when you embrace the ideas, they get expressed in the operating system of your life. And so uh, Mike was speaking about that uh, uh, last week very powerfully about having, um, you know, a, an operating system. And in a sense, um, the way Mike actually uh, phrased it was when you were constructed, when God made you, he actually put an operating system in you. And uh, we, we start downloading apps that actually go against the divine operating uh, system. But I think also what some of us have tried to do is we try and put in a new operating system, an overlying operating uh, system, and that begins to violate our creation design. And if you begin to embrace um, a faulty worldview system, it's like bad coding. It's like bad coding in your life. And so you'll notice that, that when you are out of God's alignment with your life, what ends up happening is that um, you, uh, things just aren't working properly in your life. Now, I love the statement that Mike made uh, last week. He said, he, he released that statement about who we are, how God created us to be. And he said, I am a supernatural being with the knowledge revealed to me through my relationship with my Father God and His Word, in whom I place my ultimate value and who has set out for me my ultimate destiny and eternity spent with him. You know, what? that is such a great uh, summation or summary of a biblical uh, Christian worldview. And so let's get back and have a look at the maker's coding for uh, our lives. Now, um, as I begin to uh, to, uh, speak about this, there's a couple of presuppositions from the scripture that I want you to, uh, to realize. The first is, is God is a good God. And when he looks at you, he has a plan for your life. And it's so important that we understand this. God is not on the fence about you. He loves you. In fact, in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. I mean, I just just love right there that statement. That, that, I mean, but he clarifies. He says, I know the plans I have for you. And then just in case you lost the plot somewhere, he says, plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The revelation of the character and the nature of God just in that one scripture is so awesome. One, he knows them. And he's made them. So when when he created Colleen, he's out making Colleen. This is awesome. I'm making a plan for Colleen. And you know what? I'm not gonna forget my plan for Colleen. I know my plan for Colleen. And you know what? It's a good plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan for good and not for evil. A plan to give her a hope in the future. And I just slot your name in. This, this is an amazing thing. And it's so important that we understand that as we enter into our relationship with God. Because otherwise, you enter into your relationship with God with a degree of diffidence. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like I mean, put it this way. Um, I remember being at school. I remember being at school and knocking on the headmaster's door. Now, I knew that the headmaster had a plan for my life, but I was not convinced it was a plan for good and not evil. I never approached my teachers at school with any degree of confidence. In fact, I was pretty sure that they knew the plans they had for me. It was a plan for evil and not for good. It was a plan that just said, you do not have any future. And that was also also how I approached Santa Claus or Father Christmas. Father Christmas, as a kid, terrified me because my parents made it quite clear that he knew when I had been good and when I had been bad, that he was watching me while I slept. And the concept scared the living daylights of me because I knew when I had been good and when I had been bad. And I kind of felt like the bad outweighed the good. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? But you, God's not like that. God has predetermined <laughs> that He loves you. Amen? So, go to, go to Joshua um, 1 verse 8. And so this is, this is my preamble to the, <laughs> to the biblical Christian worldview. And why this is important. Joshua 1, verse 8. This is God's plan for us. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now, listen to this part so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. So this is really awesome. God actually says, listen, I've got a plan for you, a plan for good and not for evil. I want to make you prosperous and successful. Now, this scripture, we actually need to take the scripture when we meditate on it at many different levels the first level that we need to take it uh, on is obviously personal, all right? That this personally applies to you. But more than that, it's actually a scripture that God was giving to, um, to Joshua for a nation. Saying, listen, I want this nation to be prosperous and successful. And this is how you're going to do it, is this thinking, this way of thinking, this meditation, this way of thinking needs to pervade not just you as a person and, you, uh, and your families, but the whole nation needs to think like this because when the nation thinks like this, this nation is going to be prosperous and successful. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a heart to see the world prosperous and successful. I, I, I have a dream to see poverty eradicated in South Africa. How many of you would just think that would be amazing? I mean, imagine driving into Cape Town, down the N2, and the communities on either side of the highway are just prospering. Poverty is a bad memory. Think about it. They're not full of gangsterism, but kids playing in the streets. Fun, having fun, unafraid. No no fear. Criminality has just disappeared. Because there's just no need for it. Do you know that that is God's dream too? (laughs) Do you know that is God's dream? Now, it's interesting because, of course, when we get there, There will still be poverty in a sense, because there will be relative poverty. Do you you know what I mean? It's like the level will go up, but there will always be people doing better than those people. So it's like, I I remember my first time going to the United States of America. I drove through this particular area and um, I was going there and looked like a suburb in in South Africa. And the guy said, wow, it's it's a very bad area, very bad area. I'm like, really? Yeah, oh, a lot of poverty here. Uh. Really? I'm looking around, thinking, okay, yeah, take your word for it. Where they're hiding? I said, sorry, could you could you define that for me? Like, I said, like, oh, no, no, the people live here, very poor. You know, most of these houses have only one TV. <laughs> hmm, really, that <laughs> <Not> bad, huh? <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> Look, the guy said, yeah, you know, these people here, yeah, they can't afford to eat out very often. Can't afford to eat out very often. I was like, whoa, <laughs> awful, buddy. Did I mention I'm from Africa? And, then, and it was like, for him, that was poverty. That was poverty. Man, I would love to import some of that poverty. Amen? Yeah, like, they've only got one TV in that, uh, in that house and they can only afford to eat out a couple of times a week. How exciting! Do you know there is a dream in the heart of God for us to cause nations to prosper? So, how does He do it? He says, Meditate on His Word. Remember Debbie's teaching a couple of months ago where she spoke about how how God gives us His law, He gives us His his Word, He gives us His thing. He gives them to us not just because He wants us to obey them. But because when he gives us a law, it's actually a boundary protecting something that's valuable. You remember that? And so he releases his word to show us what, it, uh, what is valuable. And so what we're going to do now, I want to ask to look at the, the law that the Moses was speaking about. Or, or, or God was speaking to Joshua about. Um, and we're going to start at ground zero. The Ten Commandments. So go with me in your Bible to Exodus uh, chapter 20. And we're going to look at how we build from the ground up a biblical worldview. Exodus 20 verse 1. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. So this is the beginning of constructing a biblical Christian worldview. One of the great tragedies in, I believe, in modern Christian life is you can, if you did a survey in most churches today, I'd say probably more than 50% of the people attending Christian churches today um, cannot tell you the Ten Commandments. They, they, they're like well, there's something in there about murder i'm sure there's something on the murder um, and then there's i uh, love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul and all your mind i love your neighbor as yourself and you're like i uh, know no, no you, you already no. um okay that's no no and um, the reality is is we not only can't meditate on the word of the lord we don't know we don't know it it's hard to meditate on something day and night when you don't know it. So let's just go here and have, uh, uh, have a look at this. And let me just tell you, I'm, I'm amongst them. I have to go back and refresh my memory on a regular basis. Like, what well, was commandment number seven? <laughs> no, I know that one, darling. Don't worry. I know that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just thought I better clarify quickly. Yeah. Okay. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, Beginning of a biblical Christian worldview, it's amazing, it's that God spoke these words. So, then God, a biblical Christian worldview, should be absolutely fundamental to say this and obvious, starts with God. It starts with God. You've got to start your, your reasoning, your thinking with God. Because if you start anywhere else, your whole life system is going to fall, uh, fall apart. Many people begin with themselves, or they begin with man. So, uh, in the uh, in the Enlightenment, or during the uh, the age of um, it, which started with um, a man called Descartes, Rene Descartes, a French philosopher, he he deconstructed his worldview, and he be, and he tried to rebuild it uh, uh, again, and because he said like, how do I know anything? I don't know anything exists. He called it systematic doubt, and then he came up with a famous saying. And I said, I think, therefore I am. Do you uh, you remember that? And so what he did was, he said, because I'm thinking, because I'm conscious, therefore I must exist. And if I exist, then I've found one point of reality, and it's that I exist. And then he tried to reconstruct his whole system of thinking on that. And from there we got rationalism, and rationalism went to the fruit of what we have today. But when you do that... When you start in, uh, building your life system in your own head, do you know what happens? Your head and your brain and your thinking are not big enough to contain all of reality. And in the end, you destroy the very thing that you've started with. And so today we've got to the place where Rene Descartes wanted to have a rationalist, a reasonable world. Now we live in an unreasonable world. Because we've destroyed thinking. He started with, I think, therefore I am. And now we've got to, I think I am, therefore I am. That's literally why we've got you. I think I'm a woman, therefore I'm a woman. I think I'm a man, therefore I am a man. And because what they've done, they went from uh, finding reality in their minds, and then we've got to the place where we are projecting reality from our minds. So you have to start with God. And this is amazing. It says, um, uh, and God spoke. And so the beginning of true understanding is that we have a God who speaks to humanity and he reveals himself. That is so fundamentally important. Also, God speaks. He is personal. He is present. He's interested. And he reveals the truth to us. This is the most amazing thing. God will step into your life. And he will speak to you. He's personal. He's present. And he's interested. That's so important. His present. I love that. You know the amazing thing he says. God said. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. So God doesn't begin with the laws that, or the, the Ten Commandments that he, he's going to give. He doesn't begin with the commandments. He says, remember me? I'm the guy who was present in your life, who brought you up. You see, the, the, the revelation of the Ten Commandments was based on an encounter that the nation had had. You know, the most amazing thing is, even today, God loves to be present with His people. He doesn't want you just to have a relationship with the words he wants you to have a relationship with him this is so important this is so important some of us think that we can have a relationship with god with just the words you actually can't you need the god of the words and the word of god together it's absolutely fundamentally important that we understand this even in the ten commandments God says, not only that, but we see God in the Garden of Eden, present with Adam and Eve. In His relationship with Israel in the desert, present. But even more than that, God went and manifested Himself in history in the person of Jesus and came and walked amongst us. He was that present. And when Jesus was crucified and rose again, Holy Spirit came and was poured out Because God is always the God who is present with His people. It's so important. It's so important. And this is why in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says of Jesus that He is the chief cornerstone of our faith. He's the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? Remember how I was talking about um, a moment ago that Rene Descartes... Um, found his one immovable rock was that he was thinking. And what he actually did was he exchanged the truth of God as the cornerstone of his worldview and he made himself the cornerstone. And the problem is with that, when you have any foundation, as Matthew chapter 7 says, when you have any other foundation other than the Word of God, other than Jesus, when the storm comes, the house falls apart. In the house and any worldview that's not built on Jesus as the chief cornerstone will fall apart when the pressure h- hits it. It might look good at first. People go, wow, no, no. I'm a rationalist. I'm a scientist. Well, I've got news for you. Your very rationality and your very science is built on the God of the science and the God of your reason. It's uh, and the God who gave you a reasonable mind. So, But if you try and build it without that, it will fall apart and, uh, under pressure. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And because of his life, his death, and his burial, and his resurrection and history, all these things tie uh, uh, into him. And then we get the Word of God, which gives us the, uh, gives us the parameters of our worldview. So let's, go, let's have a look at the Ten Commandments. I'm probably not going to go through all of them in great depth today. First four probably more depth. The, the next six, not that they're not important, in less importance, but the next six are more self explanatory. The first thing, I just love this you shall have no other gods before me. Why did God say that? Because they, he was speaking to a people who were coming out of a polytheistic culture, they had many <coughs> gods. So he called Egypt, uh, he called Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of uh, slavery, and he called them into a new nation. And he said, you're going to have one God. Now, you need to understand in that context, in that time, that was really unusual. Monotheism just changed the way humanity worked and operated And uh, at that time when God uh, said that and to have one God was wild. But when you choose one God, then there's, it's amazing. You get one truth, one truth. You see, we live in a culture of many gods. People, people actually go, no, you know, you got your truth. I got my truth. And you know, people say, just come and share your truth. Hey, honey, I've got news for you. There isn't your truth and my truth. There is the truth and then your opinion. Hmm. And this is the thing. And you see, what God was doing, he was, he was saying, there, I am the arbiter of reality and I am the truth. God is. Uh, Jesus is the truth. Truth exists. Relativism is a lie. Why is this important? Because if truth exists, it means that there are foundations on which we can build our life. There are sure things. There are sure principles. We can know things. This is really important in every aspect of life. Whether it's building your personal life. Building your morality, how to build a family, how, um, whether we can even do science, whether we can even do mathematics. This is really important. Truth uh, truth exists. Reality lies in the creator and it's bigger than you. That's so important. Then in the book of Hebrews, it says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed By the Word of God. We start by placing our faith in God. And then we understand how uh, the the world works. When we understand that there is one God, we understand also that reality is objective. It's not subjective. It's not in my mind. It's not, you you know, it's not how I just uh, perceive it. I might have a wrong perception, that's true. But behind my wrong perspective, there's still an objective reality because it came firstly from the mind of God. And God reveals in His kindness the nature of that uh, to us. Okay, the second commandment, verses 4 to 6, says this. You shall uh, shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the... You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on uh, on the children, on the on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Isn't it this? Why? Why is God repeating himself? It seems. It seems like he's repeating himself because he just said, "Don't have any other gods before me," and then he says. Don't make idols, which you could translate it another way. Don't have other gods. <coughs> he's actually not doing that. What he's speaking about here, he's speaking about the image, images. Why are images so important? Because it's the first thing God says about you. You see, God first reveals himself as the truth. And the next important, biggest question, the two biggest questions uh, in life are, Who is God and who am I? Who is he and who am I? Remember the Truman, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Truman Show? It's like, who's God? And then how do I understand myself in this context? The first thing the Bible says, turn with me in Genesis, uh, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is the first thing the Bible says about you. Then God said, let us make Nigel. Put your name in there. Let us make in our image according to our likeness. And let him her, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing uh, that, uh, that moves on the earth. The beginning of understanding who you are is that you are an image of God. When God made you, He made you to be like him. This is why. He has a prohibition against other images because when you make other images, you begin to understand yourself wrong. You don't see who you really are. You don't understand who, uh, uh, who you truly are. Let, let's have a look at uh, this and let's see some of the things the, the, the word of God reveals about humanity. First thing is that every person you will ever meet has been made in the image of God. You're like God. They're like God. Wow, God is a trinity, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. You're a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. This is amazing. Not only that, but it says that He gave them dominion. He made man in His image, and He made them to rule. So this is the interesting thing. The pantheists go, they sort of say, well, everything is God. We, the cat is God, the dog is God. We are God. No, it's different. You're made in His image, but you're not God. God made you in His image, and there's a difference from being in the image of God to being God. But God did give us dominion over creation. Now, interesting thing is, is we are part of creation, but we're still given dominion uh, uh, over uh, creation. Isn't that awesome? Also, we're given authority. God is before and over creation, and creation itself is not God. Also, it says male and female, that's a very important um, dich- uh, dichotomy. The interesting thing is, is that the image bearing that we have of God, there is this difference, there's this divergence but there's unity because it says he created them male and female. But then later he, he, uh, he says that um, the two shall become one. So interesting thing is when the, the, the male and female come together, although they are two, they are one. God, although is father, son and Holy Spirit, although they are three, they are one. And even in that marriage, the, the Bible says that a threefold cord cannot be broken. What's the third strand of the male and the female coming together? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings that together. So in, when, when you're married by the Lord and in the Lord, there is a trinity that exists in you and it's part of the image bearing uh, of God. One of the primary Godlike qualities of humanity is this. Is that... In males and females coming together in marriage and multiplying, like God says, they get to do something that only God could do. Reproduce images of God. That's amazing. That's uh, amazing. And I want to tell you, uh, for those of you who are parents, maybe you remember this moment. um, That moment when you first hold a child of your own in, uh, in your arms, and you look in their face, it's the most miraculous moment. You, you hold that person in your, in your arms, and you like, I remember Debbie's first words to, I think it was to Jess, were, hello, who are you? Do you remember that? Was that to Jess? And she, she looked at this little thing, and she went, who are you? It was like, you weren't here? And now you are. It's the most awesome moment where all of a sudden in your arms there's this little image of God and this little image of, uh, of you. I had a different reaction. I, I just looked into that little face and I said, mine. <laughs> mine. I, I'm getting over it. I'm getting over it. Not so much. <laughs> but there's, there, you know, and God delegates that to us. Third commandment. Shall not, uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. I'm starting to accelerate uh, a bit here. What's that all about? The Bible says that we bear his name. It says that all fatherhood on heaven derives its uh, all fatherhood on earth derives its name from the Father above. Alright? So God not only reveals who we are, then, uh, uh, who he is, then he reveals who we are, but then he reveals whose we are. Whose we are. It's like when you meet uh, a, a, little, a little while ago, Jessica w- uh, went somewhere and she introduced herself to, hi, I'm Jessica, and then she said, I'm um, Jessica Desmond, and, and these people went, oh, Jessica Desmond. Do you know Nigel and Debbie Desmond? She says, yeah, that's, um, uh, those are my parents. And what she was bearing, my name. And we, oh, we've heard about your mom. Uh, mom and dad. We know uh, your mom. And dad. Because she, in revealing her name, she revealed who she was. Do you know that God has put his name on you? You belong to the Lord. And we're not called to bear that name in vain. All right? When we walk in His name and in His stead, in His authority, we rule as a member of His family on earth. That's why we're called to steward the earth. It's way more than just don't say curse words, that commandment. Obviously, we are called to hold the Lord's name in great uh, uh, respect. But it's, uh, it's bigger than that. It also speaks to our speech. You know, words are so important. Words are so important. It just, just in choosing certain words, um, you can frame a discussion. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I'll give you an example. Walk up to, walk up to a guy with a group of friends um, uh, one day and ask him this question. Say, hey, um, Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Frank, can I ask you a question? Sure. Have you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> what's the right answer? Yes. Wow. Everyone's like, wow, Frank was beating his wife. <laughs> no. Are you still beating your wife? You see, Frank's already in a corner just by the words he cho- uh, you chose, you know. You frame a discussion with, uh, uh, with the words. And you know what? Part of this is just about speaking truthful words. Your words are important. As a Christian, you need to pay attention to the to the words you use and the way uh, you uh, you use them. Amen. Okay, we're going to verse eight and eight, eight, uh, eight, uh, eight to eleven. And actually, how long have we been going here? I think I might. We... Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. Okay. Eight to uh, eight to eleven. Um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath a sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What this commandment speaks to us about is that our the beginning of our life is in rest and trust. You see, the amazing thing is, is God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. All right? But when was man made? Man was made on the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, God rested. So the beginning of your life was on God's rest day. The beginning of humanity was in rest With God. And the beginning of life starts from that place of, Hey God, I'm resting and I'm trusting in you. It's interesting. It says, and God made that day holy. It's where we get the word holiday. Because a holiday is literally a holy day. This is one of the reasons why. You know what? Um. I encourage you, come to church on Sunday. Because going to church on Sunday, it's more than just, it's more than just, oh, you know, it's a good thing to do. Um, it's, it's what we do. It's, I love it. Chris Vallotton, um, Jason Vallotton, shares about how his, he grew up. Um, he, they, as kids, they'd go to their dad and say, hey, do I have to go to church today? And Chris would say, no, you don't have to go to church today. They were like, oh. You get to go to church today. Oh. My kids were discussing it the other day. They were like, I don't know what happened, Mom and Dad. And when we grew up, like, um, we just came to church. It was like, I remember once Jess said, we were like really sick. It was like, if our arm was falling off, we didn't go to church. It was just—I don't know. It just—it just became, it. and you know the funny thing is now, it, just for them, it's like this is what we did. This is what uh, what we do, and you know, part of this is because it's like when we come to worship the Lord. This when you come to church, you're actually not coming for you. You're coming for Him. You're coming to worship Him. You're coming to. This is where life starts. The rest of the week, because uh, Sunday is the first day of the week, and then the rest of the week flo- uh, flows from. Sunday is not the last day of the week. It's the first day of the week. Okay, and then, the last, the last six huh, and commandments, I'm just going to do very swiftly, because they flow fr- uh, from here. The first four commandments were summed up by Jesus when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. The next six, the next uh, ta- uh, tablet, was um, love your neighbor as yourself, and this is where it start, uh, starts from. It's the commandment to honor your father uh, and, and your mother. What's that speaking about? That's speaking about family, the power of family. Family is the building block of a healthy society. Mm-hmm. Family is the, ha- is the bu- that's why the enemy is trying so hard to destroy uh, to destroy family. I want to tell you, it's not true that kids don't do better if they haven't, if they've got, um, if they've got only a mom or only a dad. No, no, it's not true. God's best plan is a mom and a dad in the home bringing up the kids. Now, obviously, life is messy and things happen, and God steps in and redeems and He loves, etc. But we can't. Uh, you know, just because sometimes we don't achieve the, uh, the ideal, we can't scrap God's original plan. Amen? So, family, important. Family authority is important. Why is family authority important? It's actually in the home where you learn to be a good person. That's the first time you experience gov- uh, government in, uh, in the home. It's actually where you develop um, self-government and you begin to become free the next uh, uh, the next commandment thou shalt not murder that's it's quite an important one it's quite an important one um, the value of uh, of life um, then um, thou shalt uh, thou shalt not kill thou uh, shalt not commit adultery i've lost the rest of my notes so i'm uh, yeah um that Five, six, seven, thou shalt uh, not commit adultery. That's a really important one. But you know, this speaks about more than just adultery and keeping your marriage pure. But it speaks to the principle of covenant at every level of society. Keeping your agreements. Do you know, imagine an environment where you'd sign a contract with someone and it's just like, come back and, yeah, no, well, we're not doing that anymore. We enforce contracts and covenants for a reason. Because you can't run a society without them. Okay? Thou shalt not steal. The value of property. So important. You know, um, the, the idea of actually being able to own property. When you can own property in a, uh, in a society, it actually is one of the quickest ways to destroy poverty. We've tried societies now where no one owns anything. And every single time we have tried that, people get poorer. People get poorer. And, this, and the whole country, the whole nation gets poorer. The, the nation doesn't prosper and succeed. Okay? Um, then justice. You know, thou shalt uh, not um, give false uh, witness. Justice is important. When, when you go to court... Your neighbor, whether they're rich or poor, they deserve the truth and they deserve justice. This is the foundation of a free legal system. And finally, coveting. Why, why, why did God speak so much about this coveting thing? Do you know why? Again, it gets back to trust. When you're looking at your neighbor's stuff and you want to take your neighbor's stuff, it means that you actually have stepped into an idolatrous situation where you have replaced one God for another. You know, that's true even when it's on a governmental level. When you look at other people's uh, stuff and you say, You know what? I'm entitled to what you've earned. I'm entitled to your uh, your money. When you begin to think and act uh, uh, like that, Actually, the nation stops prospering. Okay, so there's just some uh, thoughts to, uh, to think about. One of, the, one of the things we have to recover in our day is the ability to think biblically about all of life. The Word of God applies to all of life. It's, it's like a framework in which we can construct lives that are filled with God, that bring the maximum uh, amount of of, uh, prosperity, freedom, um, of of godliness, of self-control. When we do that, although there is no perfection in this life, it certainly mitigates the effects of sin in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would cause us to be people of the word and people of your way. I ask Holy Spirit that you would empower the way we think and that you'd live in us. R- lead us into ever increasing love and joy and truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Nigel Desmond. For more information please visit